potential. There may be things about you that exist that, that grieve God. They may grieve God. I know that's an awkward question. I mean, all you aspiring pastors and preachers out there, don't ever start a Sunday morning like I just did with that question. Uh, you know, that could be your last time ever speaking. Um, but I've been at this for five years. I'd like to think that I have some relational, relational uh, collateral with you guys. But, but has the thought ever entered your mind that there may be things about you that grieve God? Please don't answer that question out loud. You know, That would be even more awkward than the question itself. And don't answer that question in your head either because, well, we don't want anybody suffering from an identity crisis this morning. Um, my recommendation is that you wait till at least Monday, but only if you like your job. If you don't like your job, never answer this question at any point in your life, okay? Let the Holy Spirit just kind of bring it to light and let him answer it for you. But all kidding aside, in Psalms 139, which is our key text, David does just that. He invites the Lord. He invites God to search out his heart and search out his life for the sole purpose of exposing anything that God may regard as grievous. Can you imagine such a prayer? But let's be honest, even putting David on display this morning, it still does not remove the awkwardness of the question, right? No matter how you slice it this early on a Sunday morning, that's the last question you want to hear, right? About, about your heart or your life and the way God may perceive it or see things. But that is why I feel as I, I have appropriately titled my sermon this morning, A Necessary Awkwardness. A necessary awkwardness, right? Um, now, we're, those lights are flashing. They are annoying me. Can somebody shut them off? Get the, I'm just like looking at the... Bum, 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 bum. Anyways, we tried to bring Christmas in a little bit. These are actually the Dante's lights, but they just don't behave. That one's got like a spirit. We've been trying to cast it out since 7.30 this morning. But I titled my message this morning, A Necessary Awkwardness. This isn't a new... Uh, sermon series. Uh, this is the third installment of a four-part series, again, that we started in the beginning of November titled Vital Signs. Um, but hopefully this morning the title diffuses or waters down or helps us a little bit with the question, right? It just kind of takes a little bit out of, of the awkwardness out of, out of the picture, right? Um, it's uh, funny that in America it's actually a fact that um, laughter is necessary uh, before receiving any kind of truth. Actually, in the West here in the church, you know, um, it, it's actually true. If you look at it, you Google it. Actually, that's what Google says. I don't know if it's true. I'm taking its word for it. But uh, the church, in the Church of America, you need to laugh at least two or three times before accepting any kind of, let's call it, hardcore, in-your-face kind of Bible truth. And so I'm going to try to get the... That's one. We're up to one. That's good. This is good because, you know, we're going to be going to some interesting places this morning in Scripture. Um, let me clarify some things, though, about the title. I think that you would agree that not all awkwardness is necessary, right? It's not. So, you know, uh, the titles and what it suggests isn't exactly, you know, true. Uh, but though some, uh, um, sorry, though, though not all awkwardness is necessary, some awkwardness is needed. And in light of this uh, sermon, I, I would just submit to you guys this morning that uh, this kind of awkwardness is not only needed, but crucial. I just like the word necessary more than needed, and so I put necessary there, uh, but it really should be needed. It's because not, as was said, all awkwardness is 
necessary. You see, the Bible in its pages, you know, the passages and verses within the book that we love and we read have within it times and points where it kind of just welcomes in awkwardness. It kind of opens the door, if you would, to uh, kind of awkward conversations and awkward times and awkward sayings. Take, for example, Proverbs 21, 19, which reads this. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this proverb. I happen to think that I would choose a crabby wife over the desert any day of the week. Fellas, haul at your boy. I mean, if you had the option to choose a crabby, complaining wife over a dry and barren land where there is no water, what would you do? I mean, come on. I would pick the crabby wife. So we're up to two laughs this morning. I'm sure there's some kind of takeaway with the proverb. I'm just, I just can't relate because, as I said, I would choose the crabby wife. Funny story. Please don't take offense to this. I actually, when I first read this uh, verse, I thought the proverb said a chubby wife. A chubby wife. I don't, please. I'm totally being totally serious. Don't, don't be offended at all. It clearly doesn't. Thank God we caught this before uh, I read the verse to you this morning, or it just would have been extremely awkward, right? But you know what's even more funny is not, none of what I just said has anything to do with my sermon. That's, that's, the, that's really the funny thing about it. It was all just placed so there would be points and times where you would laugh and just relax a little bit so that we could get into the more controversial sayings of the Bible. So let's call Proverbs 21.19 a silly kind of awkward, right? And even more so silly because I thought, well... The word was chubby rather than crabby. And that's my, I, was, I was actually vetting that through my wife this week. I was like, should I, should I like say that? Will that come? But anyways, we did it. Um, and then there's the Psalms 139, 23 through 24 kind of awkward. You know, that kind of 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning uh, kind of uncomfortable awkward, which reads this. Search me and know me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous ways in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting life. In the church of America, we don't really care all that much for this kind of awkward doing. Like, we work somewhat hard. I know I do. I, I work somewhat hard to keep this kind of awkwardness out of people's, you know, peripheral vision, out of their even, but we work hard to, to just stay and even avoid scriptures like this. I mean, can you imagine the psalmist David is saying, God, would you look into my life and see if by chance there be anything in me that grieves you? This is where churches like ours here at Hilltop, we make sense, Right? Because as I said, I'm an awkward guy, so I'll just go for it. We're an awkward church. We happen to believe here at Hilltop that the whole of the Bible is important and necessary. We feel as though the silly and the awkward, right, and everything in between is necessary and needed for human flourishing. But let's move on. The way word here in Psalms 139 means a journey. A direction, a manner, or habit, habit, excuse me. Figuratively or metaphorically speaking, it means the course 
of someone's life direction. In this case, it would be David's uh, life direction or his moral character. At any rate, David was open to the potential that his journey, uh, his direction, that part of like his inner navigational system that kind of led his way and his deeds, and yes, dare I say, his character even, may be out of sync with that of the Lord's everlasting ways. And he's calling it in this moment all into check. Search me and know me, God. Don't just tell me, God, the things I want to hear. Tell me the things I need to hear. Oh, come on now. This is 2018, man. We roll deep in the tell me what I want to hear. We roll deep in it. But man, if, 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 if actually God tells us what we need to hear, we kind of think it's the devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. It just may be the voice of God. It just potentially might be that God is speaking. And, and in this case, David doesn't even wait for it. He just invites it. He's like, God, here I am, God. Look within my heart and see if there be any ways in me that grieve you. The tone of actually Psalms 139 is set in the first three verses. You can put it up on the screen, Psalms 139, 1 through 3. And it kind of just paints for us this relationship between David and God and what's going on. And I'll read the psalm and then we'll point out four just, you know, obvious things that happen in these three verses. It says this in Psalms 139, 1 through 3, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, uh, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts. Oh, God, please. My, my thoughts. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I wish there was like some kind of tinfoil I could wrap over my head to block God, discerning my thoughts. But he, he discerns my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. So what does God do with David? Well, he evaluates David. And by evaluating, he knows who David is. So God knows David's coming, right? He knows his going. He knows his rising and his laying down. Essentially, God's a stalker. Pretty scary. Number three, he knows David's thoughts. They have been combed over by God. They have been combed over, actually, you know, just like investigated deeply by God. And the result of all this is God knows David intimately. Intimately. Interesting uh, uh, thought here when it comes to uh, this text is none of this causes David to be scared. None of it causes him at all to shrink back and recoil or pull away or isolate from God. None of it does. It doesn't scare him. I mean, up into this point at Psalms 139, David has done some shady things, some shady business. And, and even in the midst of that shadiness, he invites God and, you know, say, God, look at me and see if there be anything in me that brings you pain and sorrow. I mean, the last thing I'm going to do after I know I have a bit of a track record of like shadiness is kind of invite God into like, you know, just kind of like, could you just point out the obvious, Lord? You know, that time when I was on top of my house top and I should have been in war, you know, like... Of course there's things about David that grieve God. But David doesn't care. He's open to the fact that God may say something 
that hurts. God may say something that's needed. On the contrary, right? David wants God to go a little bit further and deeper. The word grievous here in the original translation actually means hurtful. (laughs) The Hebrew meaning for the word hurtful is something that brings pain and sorrow. So essentially, David says, God, look closely at my life. Look into my heart and see if there's anything that I have done that brings you pain and sorrow. Who prays prayers like that today? I want to be courageous. I want to be bold enough to pray prayers like that. I'm not just doing it for the sheer pleasure of doing it. I I, I want to do it because I believe that God actually knows what's best for me. He knows what's best to say to me. And He knows how to best touch, heal, and transform my heart. And if the ways of my heart are hidden from me, as the prophet Jeremiah says, and God searches and knows those things of which are hidden from me, oh, he's the best person qualified to speak and to speak freely and often as he wants. Friends, to me, David right here in Psalms 139 um, shows signs of a healthy person. It's a a man that not only is healthy in his relationship with the Lord and how he relates with his God, but he also is a man who desires health. Because you don't invite God into those spheres of your life if you don't desire for God to speak. If you don't desire God to transform your heart, you don't even welcome it. Actually, you recoil, you pull away. But David is someone who isn't scared to invite the maker of the heavens and the earth, the God who knows his heart. In the first three verses, that is clear. He knows David's hearts and he knows the secrets of his heart. And David wants God to peer into his life with the sole intent of bringing to the light that which grieves God. I I believe that not only is David showing signs of a healthy person, He's not only showing signs of a person who wants a healthy heart. I believe this is part of what it means and what it looks like to actually sustain and cultivate a healthy heart. Being secure and, as I mentioned earlier, courageous enough uh, to not rely upon your own evaluation more than you do the evaluation of others. And more importantly, God's evaluation of yourself is the sign of a healthy person. I have two people on the front row with me. Praise the Lord. So what does this say to me? Well, this says to me clearly that one, David trusts the Lord completely. He's, he's not scared. Like oftentimes when I cross, you know, times like this in my life where I have those courageous, bold moments of like, God, search me and know me and see if there be any grievous things in me. <laughs> Maybe you didn't hear. <laughs> Uh, oftentimes, when I pray prayers like those kind, I don't trust. I feel like he's just going to bomb me. You know, he's just going to rip me apart, rip me to shreds. Because somewhere in my mind, I already know those grievous things that I do that bring pain and sorrow to God. 
but he doesn't. And because of that, I've learned to trust God. He is so kind, so tender, and so able to not just tell you the things that you want to hear, but that you need to hear. And my, my kind of just recommendation to you this morning is don't think everything that you need to hear that you don't like to hear is the devil. Because most likely it's not. Listen, the devil's a liar. I get it. But he's not speaking. Not nearly as much as God is speaking. Oh, come on! David trusts the Lord completely. David places little to no confidence in his perceptions of himself. His evaluation of himself means nothing. He wants to know God's take. Friends, do you want to know God's take of your life? You know, there's the things that your friends say. There's the things that your mom and dad say about you. Um, My son will probably end up with a crisis of, you know, just entitlement and everything because we just dote over him and everything he does, foolish, we just, ah, that's not foolish. When I'm thinking in my mind, that's stupid. I, I wonder if, if I have this kind of courage. I wonder if the church, Hilltop, do we have this kind of courage right here that David has in Psalms 139? To not demonize people who actually want to invite God into their life. To not just give me the nice flattering words of acceptance, God. You know, we're just saturated in this kind of man-centered gospel where it's all about how God accepts us. Listen, I, am, I love that God accepts me. I, I don't question that. I love that God approves of me. I, I love that God loves me, but I don't want to avoid the needed necessary things that God also feels and thinks and wants to say to me and about my heart. So it takes courage. I wonder if we have this kind of courage. Courage to divorce that man-centered gospel that has saturated itself in acceptance and approval while avoiding things that just may, just may happen to bring sorrow or pain to the heart of God. You know, for me, guys, this is what makes Psalms 139.24 so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's powerful to see David put it all on the table. I think what God wants, I think that the lesson here is God wants a sincere, authentic people. Not trying to disguise themselves in like some kind of religious, you know, you know get up costume. But it just wants people who can literally say, God, here it is. Here it is. This is me. <laughs> you know, search me and know me, God. And, 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 and if there's a chance that there's something about me that grieves you, God, say it. Say it. Speak it. I want to hear it. I love this about David. I love this that throughout the course of his life, yeah, you, you may like, you know, take the summary of his life and be like, oh, what a failure. But yet, if you remove all that, you see a very authentic, real Christian just desiring to love God. And I'm wondering if there's any Christians that desire and have that raw, authentic, sincere heart anymore in the church. I'm wondering if if we have so missed the point sometimes in our gatherings to avoid scriptures 
that, that, are, are, that are needed and necessary for our health and our growth and our maturity. But we just avoid them because oh, we don't want to upset too many people. I'm done with that kind of religion, guys. We should all be done. And we should work towards living a more authentic, sincere Christianity. That even if there might be something that pains God, or it, it, it grieves God, that we are courageous to say, here it is. Here it is, God. Say it. Speak. Reveal and heal me, Jesus. That's the good thing. God's just not going to leave you with his words of scrutiny. <laughs> it's just not the way he's going to do it. He's, you know, you invite him into that part of your life, guess what? He's going to pull you all the way through. Why? Because he has begun a good work in you. And he will be faithful to complete it unto the very end of time. You know, Psalms 139 is not a standalone verse. This isn't just like a one-off in Scripture, right? The whole of Psalms and Proverbs is full of language like this. It's full of people saying, God, I desire such things of you. You know, you take, for example, uh, Psalms uh, 26.2, which says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me and test my heart and mind. Or or I love this one, Job 31.6. Let me be weighed in a just balance. (laughs) Oh, that is a dangerous prayer. Let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. Are you kidding me? These guys are some ballers. They're some ballers. And I I happen to believe that God wants to restore this back into the church. Not where we can just be loathing and just, oh, woe is me, oh, I'm so wretched. But you know the truth is, you are wretched. I am wretched. That's what makes Jesus so significant, so beautiful. That's what makes our salvation so precious. I want to pray prayers like these. These are dangerous prayers, yet courageous prayers. And and I believe that prayers um, like these come from hearts that desire to be healthy and whole. I mean, search me and know my heart, God. See if there be any grievous ways. These are crazy, dangerous prayers. As we wrap this up this morning, I don't believe the problem for the church is, and I'm I'm not just talking about Hilltop Church, but just the church at large, you and me and others who are gathering, you know, in their places of worship. I, I don't believe the problem that we have this morning is with a God who searches us and knows us. I think the problem that we have is what will he uh What will he find when he searches? What will he say? What will be actually the things that he kind of puts out on the table? And friends, can I just submit to you, it really doesn't matter. Because the one thing that we can be assured of is God is compassionate. He is tender. He is slow to anger. He's kind. He's committed, right? God is there for us. And so this Psalms 139 should comfort us and encourage us. Why? Because it's God's complete knowledge of the psalmist David. And and, and here it is. The psalmist David, well, he is not scared 
of what God knows of him. He actually is inviting God to know even more intimate details of his life and to go as far as to say, Lord, anything controversial in my life, anything that is uh, uh, grievous, anything that is painful, suss it out, suss it out, expose it, bring it to the light. And so I don't know about you, I, I, I want the same kind of relationship with God. I, I, I want to be known by God. I, I do. I, I think that that should be our goal and that should be our aim, to be intimately known by God. The theologian Matthew Henry said this in regards to Psalms 139, the great and self-evident truth that God knows the hearts of all his children now listen, would benefit us good to mix faith with that truth and seriously consider it and apply it. It would have a great influence upon our holiness and comfort. Uh, this commentary is revealing, I didn't point it out, but earlier before this uh, 24, before verses 24, Psalms 139, David, I think, confesses something in his heart that he actually is connected with that, or has connected with that may be something that is grievous. For example, Psalms 139, 21 and 22, David says this, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. But as... You know, we might read that at first glance. Like, oh, that's noble. David hates enemies of the Lord. But I, I happen to believe that David's like, oh, Lord, like I, I'm, I feel hate has gripped my heart. I mean, this would not be, you know, pretty, it wouldn't be out of question. I mean, didn't Jesus said, say and teach to love our enemies? Right? So, I mean, maybe right here in this moment, maybe Jesus is moving upon David's heart and David is at a time of confession and saying, Oh Lord, I, I, I hate those who hate you. It's almost in the next breath that David says, Lord, search my heart with a divine scrutiny and take control, eradicate hate and lead me into your everlasting ways. So you get this picture of him connecting in the, in the moment before he says, search me and know me and see if there be any grievous ways. He's, he's confessing hate that he has towards the Lord's enemies. And I don't think that it's necessarily there because um, David is trying to come across as zealous and, and righteous and, and all noble and good. I think actually David is connecting with a, a part of his heart that is saddening his heart, that is saddening his actually direction and his prayers right in that moment. Again, I don't believe that David does something like this for just the sheer pleasure of being exposed or being found out. He most likely does this because he sees something in his heart that he wants out, that he wants out. And he worships a God who is a great physician he worships a God who, who not only can uh, call out what's in the heart, but actually can heal the symptoms and, and, and heal and make whole the heart of man. In Psalms 51, 10, last verse, and then we'll close it down for some of us. 
here. I know that uh, some of the um, language that I may have used this morning may be a little hard, but I believe you have to take that up with the scripture, not me. Uh, I'm not writing the book. I'm necessary. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing the words within the pages of the Bible. It's there for us to read. Um, but in Psalms 51.10, this is where I'd like to land uh, this morning in closing. It says this, David also is the writer here. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew right spirit within me. It's funny that the word heart here is the same um, word that Jesus uses in Mark uh, 7.21, of which we brought up um, the first Sunday that we were together um, and again, we looked at the definition of that word, and it's actually believed to be that kind of spiritual part of us where our appetites and emotions and passions uh, kind of dwell and reside. And um, with that, David has a great hope that the Lord has the power to create within him new emotions, new appetites, and new passions. And it's funny that in Ezekiel 36, it's not funny, it's beautiful actually, that God uh, 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 could create in, in kind of, yeah, he could give an entire nation a new heart. And here David is asking one man for a clean and new heart. And, and, and we just see that the Lord is actually not... Uh, you know, he, he, he's not limited in his power. He can touch the one and he can touch the many. But, but all as he needs is that kind of posture that says, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. I don't know how many times in my 20 plus years of walking with the Lord that I've prayed that prayer. I will continue for the next 40 to 50 years if the Lord allows me to live that long to pray those kind of prayers. Why? Because I am on the steady progression of health and wholeness. And, and, and honestly, guys, this kind of sequence of events of, of going from a God who searches and knows and a man who is even open to the fact of saying, Lord, I invite you into even the things that may grieve you. Going from there to believing that God has the power to not only just bring to the light that which, is, uh, that, that which I may be blinded or not seeing, he has the power to bring that to light, but he also has the power to create a new heart. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the message of the gospel. Jesus is still in the business. He's still in the business of giving us new lives, new hearts, new affections, new appetites, new desires. And I, I, my simple plea to all of us this morning is to take on this, this, this posture that David shows us in Psalms 139. This kind of honest, sincere prayer of just, God, I'm yours. You know me. You know me. I'm not going to pull away. I don't want to hide. I'm not going to isolate myself. I just, I just want you, Lord, to, to search me out and know me. Don't tell me just the things that I want to hear. Tell me the things that I need to hear. And I believe that God will. And I believe in that process we should probably stop blaming the devil because most likely it's not him. And we should trust that God speaks more than the man with a pitchfork and pointy things coming out of his head. Search us, Lord.
Search us and know us, Lord. Search and know our church. Search us, Lord, and know the people sitting in these seats. Know my heart. Know us, God. Lord, speak to us. Be faithful to, to encourage. Be faithful to love. But also be faithful and honest, Lord, to speak truthfully. Test us, Lord. Try us, Lord. We are open as a body, Lord, to be, to be led by you, God, that... Um, that, Lord, there may be things like there were for David that, that may be out of place, out of sync. God, we want to be led into the everlasting ways. The everlasting way of God in our marriages and our, our, our relationships. Lord, we want, to, we want to walk in the everlasting ways of the Lord in our neighborhoods. Lord, we want to uh, uh, walk in the everlasting ways of the Lord when it comes to our jobs Lord, when it comes to uh, our, our academics, Father, we, we want what's, what is good and what is better, Father. I pray, Jesus, that today, Lord, if nothing else happens, Lord, that in the life of this church, you would create an authentic, sincere people that are bold and courageous to even invite the scrutiny of the Lord, the truth of Jesus about our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, that's all I have for you this morning. Um, hopefully, thank you. Thank you. Hopefully, you know, with that sermon, you guys will be able to take it um, throughout Monday and Tuesday and just think about it, meditate on it, look at the scripture yourself, and maybe even pray some of those bold and courageous prayers that you see David pray and others pray that, that the Lord may lead you also in, in the stages of creating a clean and new heart within you. I have some um, just practical um, news for us. As you know, um, we started um, in the 1st of November with the Christmas in Cambridge uh, Christmas list. Um, so right now we are still gathering. I think we have about 19 Target cards so far for uh, the Cambridge Family and Children's Services um, organization. We're looking for 40, so if you brought those cards today, you can drop 